It's spring, 1934. Segregation between black and white citizens was the norm in the United States. Such discrimination divided people of faith, including Latter-day Saints. In Cincinnati, Ohio, Len and Mary Hope are not fully accepted in either their community nor their church. But their story of dedication, faith, and patience is found in chapter 22, The Eternal Reward. This is Saints, Volume 3, the podcast. Welcome to the Saints podcast. I'm James Perry. And I'm Shailen Back. Joining us is Scott Hales, the lead writer and a general editor of Saints Volume 3, and Taryn Mitchell, a professional archivist. Thank you both for being here and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Scott, it's great to have you back on the podcast. And Taryn, this is your first time. It's lovely to have you here. We would love for our listeners to know a little bit more about you and some of the projects you've been involved in. So would you mind indulging us by telling us a little bit about the things you've been involved in with regards to church history? Sure. So I'm a certified archivist and I've worked for the church history library for eight years. I'm currently moving on into a different role at the Library of Congress. But during my time at the Church History Library, I became fascinated with the history of the Black community in the church. And so I became the subject matter expert on that and wrote a research guide about it. And during that process, I found out about characters like William Daniels and would start projects to go search for more information about him. So for example, I worked with Matt Heiss, another archivist at the Church History Library, and Jeff Anderson also an archivist at the Church History Library, to start a targeted project where we reached out to anyone that possibly had ancestors that knew Daniels. And we found their journals and other items because at the time we only had two-minute books from the Love Branch and wanted to know more about him. Well, Taryn, thank you for introducing yourself a little bit more. It's so exciting to have you. And we would just love to know, what do you think about the Saints series and what did you particularly think about this chapter? I am an advocate for more inclusive history telling. I really enjoyed learning more stories, especially about the mission president's wives, which I feel sometimes get overlooked when we're talking about mission histories and the work that they do and supporting the women of the church in the areas that they're in. Also really enjoyed learning more about the youth in the church as well, as historians in general struggle with telling the stories of young people. We usually don't collect oral histories from people until they're in their 70s and 80s and they're about to leave this earth. And, you know, your memory and stuff changes as you get older and the experiences that you had younger, you don't think of them the same as you did when you were 14, 15 or in your mid-20s. And so to collect those stories of young people is, is fascinating and then to tell them is also great. And I think that could really support young people in the church to hear stories from those point of views. I think so too. Thank you. Well, Scott, I'd love it if you could kick us off today by just sharing any insights that you have with regards to the way that faith and the spirit have featured in the researching and writing of saints. That's actually something that a lot of people are curious about. They're wondering, what is it like to write one of these books? 
Do we feel constantly guided by the Spirit in all that we do? And one of the things that I like to say is that, that writing is really hard work. And sometimes when you're deep in the trenches of writing a chapter, it can be pretty hard sometimes to focus on anything other than the task at hand. And so sometimes it can be a struggle really to feel guided by anything but your deadlines or your, your next writing goal. But, you know, it's interesting. There are times when you really just feel, I would say it's the presence of the Spirit, but you also feel the presence of the people that you're writing about. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, the connection that you feel as a writer, the connection that I feel with the people that I write about. And as I was rereading this chapter in preparation for this podcast, it reminded me of writing about Susie Young Gates, who passes away in this chapter. And she is one of those characters that I've written a lot about, and others on the project have written a lot about. And we've all grown to know and love her and have felt guided as we've been researching her life to find certain letters or certain passages and texts that she wrote that have really enhanced our story. And I really feel like there are people who want their stories told. And I think she's one of them. And I would say the Hope family is another example where we really felt like this is a family that really wants their story told, really wants church members to know them. And I think that's in one way how we feel the Spirit the most. It's just the Spirit guiding us along and helping us know how these people want their stories presented. Thank you. And I think that perspective is quite important for this particular chapter as we're going to go on to talk about some individuals who have important stories to tell us. Well, as we jump into it, we find ourselves back in Cincinnati. We find ourselves with Len and Mary Hope, with their growing family, and they are experiencing still segregation. Scott, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you felt when you discovered that the Hopes had been asked not to attend Latter-day Saint meetings. Yeah, so this is a story that hits close to home, just as I've mentioned in previous podcasts. I am from Cincinnati, and the Hopes are a family that I knew a little bit about before taking on the project. And I specifically knew that they had been asked by the branch president not to attend. And so we knew that this was an important story, but it was also a story that I wanted to understand better because we really only had, I think, just one account of it from Mary Hope. So I wanted to know a little bit more about the story. And that's been one of the more fascinating aspects of writing these scenes is is trying to understand how something like this could occur and why something like this occurred. Like I said, it hits close to home. These are, even though I don't know these people personally, I feel a connection to them because I'm from there. So really that's what I felt is I wanted to understand this kind of painful episode and understand why it occurred. Thanks, Scott. And I think the issue of racism in the United States is known by many of our readers, those in the United States and those in other countries. But it's so tragic to think that members of the church shared these views and these actions for whatever reason. And I just think this story does a great job of showing what life was like for African-American saints in the period. But while you've done your research, were the Hope's experiences unique or similar to other Latter-day Saints at that time? Yeah, there's actually been a lot of research in this area, especially with the Century of Black Mormons, which I'm a board member of. There are many experiences of African-Americans, and not even African-Americans, but people in the Black community all over the world being segregated from the church. That includes in Brazil and Washington, D.C., and areas where they were asked to go worship at home or not come in at all. So um, this is nothing unique to church in general, but especially in the United States, 
segregation was, especially during this time, was rampant. I mean, that's why you have uh, the need for black churches and black colleges and such. So basically, we're just participating in the culture that was going on in the United States at the time, but also spreading it around the world as well. That was one of the interesting things that I found while writing about the Hope family is having grown up in Cincinnati, we kind of took pride in the fact that we were above the Ohio River. We weren't part of the South where segregation was supposed to occur. So I really had no idea how common segregation was even in Cincinnati up into the 1950s. This was new history to me. You know, we always talk about segregation occurring in the Deep South, but really it was a part of everyday life for a lot of people and even in Northern cities like Cincinnati. So, Scott, what did that do for you when you came to realize that some of these gospel pioneers in your area had perhaps marginalized people? Well, let me say this. So, I think one of the things that struck me, like I said, I wanted to understand what happened here. And when we found the Hope family, what happened was we knew we wanted to tell the story of an African-American family and their experience in the church at this time. And so one of our researchers, Sheridan Sylvester, she went out and she did a lot of gathering of information, and she identified several families that could serve as characters for this volume. And we were really touched by the story of Len Hope's conversion, which is also recounted in the book. And it was at this time that I was kind of reminded of the story of the Hopes. It was, like I said, a story I'd heard before, but I didn't really know a whole lot about it. We were also at the same time looking for a branch in the eastern United States that we could use to tell about what life was like for church members outside of Utah and the United States. So we said, well, we have the story of the Hopes here. What if we were to look at the Cincinnati branch as well? And the thing that really, really confirmed to me that this was the story that we needed to tell and that we needed to try to understand was I found the journal of Paul Bang, which he wrote when he was a teenager. His daughter had put it up on Family Search. Uh, I think he was like 15, 16, 17 when he wrote it. And the very first entry I read, it said, the hopes visited us today or something to that extent. So I knew that the hopes were interacting with the Bang family in some way. So there was a relationship here. And so there was more really to the story. And I wanted to know what the rest of that story was. I think what we found was really interesting. Well, one of the things that we came to find out is this issue really divided the Cincinnati branch for decades. Members were conflicted on how to fellowship this family. And what we found was that there were some families like the Bangs who were very open to interacting with the Hopes. And I think it's significant. The Bangs were an immigrant family. They were Germans. And so they had probably experienced some prejudice in their own lives. And another thing that was interesting, too, is that they operated the store in the northern part of the city, and they interacted every day with people from all types of backgrounds. Their neighborhood was very diverse. So they had Jewish friends, they had Black friends, and they attended school and integrated schools. And so they were very comfortable interacting with people who were different from themselves. But we also found, and we mentioned this in the chapter, that around the time the Hopes moved into the branch, the boundaries were realigned and there were a lot of members from Kentucky or the southern United States who had kind of migrated up to the city. And so there was some tension there. And then there was also this issue of what do we do about integration in a city and in a time when integration is not very popular? And you see this with somebody like Charles Anderson, the branch president, who's trying to figure out how to make this work. And it's been years trying to gain respectability for the saints and trying to win the regard of his neighbors. 
And he and several other members worry that if they integrate the congregation, that is going to just bring everything back to square one. And so what you see is just a lot of competing views all congregating here in this congregation and people making choices and those choices having consequences. Thank you for sharing that, Scott. I appreciate that extra insight into the factors at play with this story. Well, you've been heavily involved in researching and gathering the stories of Black Latter-day Saints, and Scott has just shared some of his experiences of researching the hopes and finding the connection with there with the bangs. I wonder if you could tell us how do you think finding and presenting the stories of Black Latter-day Saints can be of value to all members of the church? One of the things that Black history helps people see is the resilience of people, especially when they are bumping up against something that they can't control, which is other people's opinions and feelings about them. And what you see with the hopes who remain in the church and steadfast and even inspire future church leaders like Marion D. Hanks while he was serving a mission there is that they become this force of faith that people can look up to. And the more people that know their stories can, as they're going through hard times or bumping up against something, they can say, well, if they can stay in the church or if they can be faithful, then I can do it too. And I think that's not just something that the Black community can be rewarded by, but all communities as well. Taryn, I really appreciate how you're talking about the importance of us understanding and knowing the stories and the lives of these saints and how it can strengthen our lives. And then also we might be in similar circumstances. We might be in different circumstances, but I am just so inspired by their faithfulness with what they were going through and how they just maintained their connection to the church. Even when they were asked to not attend, that's huge. But we were just wondering, Taryn, can you tell us more about the issue of race and segregation around this time? Yeah, so the 1930s was going through the Depression, and that really affected the way that the Black community was treated. They were hit harder than anyone else during this time. One of the things that would happen is as more white people were losing their jobs, they would fire Black people that were employed so that white people could fill those positions. So at that time, unemployment, even though it was high, it was two to three times higher among the Black community. Also, during the Depression, lynchings went up. There was more violence against the Black community as well. Even charities began to segregate. And so soup kitchens would turn away Black people as they were trying to get food to eat. And so everything just became a lot more desperate for the Black community during that time. During that time, also, the NAACP really started to fight against segregation in schools so that they could try to betterment the Black community with more education or better education. But at the same time, Franklin D. Roosevelt passed a new law called the New Deal that pushed Black people out of their homes so that white people could move into those areas. And those people were forced to most likely move into public housing, which became the projects and became an area where drugs became rampant and other things. And so it disenfranchised Black people even more during this time period. And so that's what the hopes and other people were facing during that time. Well, Taryn, thank you for sharing that extra insight. It's horrifying to listen to the unfairness that Black Americans experienced during this time and 
it's sad to know that there are people in the world today of many different communities who experience similar or continued issues. I think one of the things about this chapter is that so many of the characters sit on the margins. We have the Peranians who are in the Palestine-Syria mission, but they are really far from many other members. They're very much on their own devices. We've got William Daniels in South Africa, who's unable to hold the priesthood and use it for the saints. In Germany, we've got the Nazis coming to power. They're disfranchising people. They've got all sorts of plans to persecute minorities. And in the middle of this, we have Helga Meisus, who's balancing what it means to be a Latter-day Saint and a German girl. And then we also here have the hopes where they're unable to enjoy the full range of blessings of church membership. And it's really quite sad to know this, but I think we might still have members of the church today who find themselves on the margins. Scott, what are your views on this? I think one of the things that we learn from the scriptures is that Zion is a place of one heart and one mind. We are striving every day to be a Zion people. That's the story. That's one of the stories that we're telling in Saints. What does it mean to establish Zion? And if we are striving to be a people of one heart and one mind, and I understand that there are many different ways, ironically, for how you can interpret what that means. But for me, what that suggests is that there is no place for marginalization in the church, that each and every one of us are here to contribute to the body of Christ, and each of us can contribute to the body of Christ. And I think as church members, it is up to us individually to find ways not only to contribute, but also to help others find ways to contribute as well, to welcome them into the fold and really help the gospel work through all of us to bring about the Lord's work. If we are striving for Zion, we need to make sure that we are welcoming everyone into this community and taking advantage of the talents and skills and knowledge and whatnot that we all bring to the work of the Lord. I think that's at the heart of the gospel. And I think the hopes are really good examples of living the gospel in an unfair world and in a community where they may be treated poorly. They choose to not respond with negativity, but they do try to fulfill the instruction to follow the Savior. One of the things that I find very powerful is in our collection here at the Church History Library, we have a recording of the Hopes bearing testimony. And this was done, I believe, near the end of their lives. It was recorded by Elder Marion D. Hanks. And as you listen to that recording, you can hear the faith that this couple has. You can feel Mary's testimony as she's bearing testimony. You can feel the conviction that Len Hope has and the truthfulness of the gospel as you listen. These are people of enormous faith and people who contributed enormously to their congregation, even though their congregation refused to let them attend. And you know this because members of the Cincinnati branch who would attend these cottage meetings with them all talked about the power they felt in listening to Len Hope's testimony. To this day, you can talk to some of the children who attended these meetings. Now they're all grown up now. They're all in their 70s and 80s. But they still talk today about the spirit they felt in the Hope's home as they listened to the testimonies that Mary and Len and their children bore. In the chapter, we learn that there's no church-wide policy on segregation. 
I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the different ways that Latter-day Saint congregations implemented or avoided segregation. So from what we can tell, this seems to be the case, that the church had no church-wide policy on segregation. However, individual congregations all kind of created their own. So we see this in the chapter with both the mission in South Africa creating the Love Branch for William Paul Daniels. And in Cincinnati, the branch created this monthly cottage meeting where those who wanted to worship with the hopes could go and worship with them and the the hopes could receive the sacrament and fellowship with their branch members. We do know that there are, in Utah, for example, integrated congregations where church members like Abner Howell, who lived around the same time, he would attend a church with white ward members. Or we know the story of Marie Graves, who lived in California, and we tell the story briefly in another chapter in in the book, where she was a member of her congregation in California, in the San Francisco-Oakland area, and apparently attended side-by-side with white members and whatnot. But then when she went to a congregation, I believe it was in Georgia, in Atlanta, she was asked to leave when she got there, a Latter-day Saint branch there. She was asked to leave and not worship there. So there, obviously, there was a segregation policy there. So it was really a a place-to-place. And from what we can tell, when the first presidency was asked about this, they would usually say, well, we leave this up to local congregations to figure out. Also, early on, some mission presidents were really involved in segregating people, especially in, in South Africa and Brazil. This is something that we are attempting to explore in greater depth in Volume 4. You know, how does the church come to terms with not just segregation, but how does it come to terms with the priesthood restriction? And that's really, in many ways, at the heart of what we're seeing here, is church members are really unsure what to do about men who cannot hold the priesthood. One of the reasons why we don't send missionaries to West Africa, for example, is because we don't know how we can organize branches or districts or wards or stakes when the majority of people living there can't hold the priesthood, can't lead a congregation. And so that is something that really what we see in the history is the church really begins to grapple with this issue beginning in the 20th century as church members go out into the world, this out-migration. And as the church begins to expand into regions where Black people live, more and more church leaders receive questions about the priesthood restriction and why it is and what does it mean for our congregation or what does it mean for the future of a congregation? Or if it's a Black person writing to the First Presidency, what does this mean for me? If I want to be a member of your church, how will this affect me? And that's really what we're seeing beginning at this time. And it just continues to snowball, continues to grow and become a more pressing issue as the 20th century unfolds and the civil rights movement really begins to gain momentum across the world. And throughout this volume and in volume four, we're going to have Black characters and individuals and families having to come to terms with the church policies that were in place at the time. I wonder if either of you could tell us how did a Black Latter-day Saint reconcile the church's policy with their church membership? How was it that they were able to justify continuing participating in the church when they couldn't participate fully? That's a good question. As you look at the lives of Black Latter-day Saints, you see each person approach this issue differently. And 
With someone like Len Hope and Mary Hope, you definitely see this in Len's testimony, is, is time and time again, he bore testimony of the hope that he had and the faith that he had that one day things would be made right for him. And we see this in the book where he says, uh, I know I cannot have the priesthood, but I feel in the justice of God that someday this will be given to me and I will be allowed to go on to my eternal reward with the faithful who hold it. So he put an immense amount of faith in this hope that he would one day hold the priesthood and one day receive all the blessings that are available to church members. And so I think that's one thing that we see is a lot of faith and a lot of hope and a lot of charity. Well, Taryn and Scott, we really appreciate hearing the experiences of these saints. We have records of how they felt and what things were like for them. And just to wrap things up, Scott and Taryn, we we wanted to ask both of you, what did you learn or better appreciate about church history after reading this chapter and or researching for this chapter? One of the things that this chapter shows is that we have choices on what type of member that we're going to be and whether it's to support an outsider or to reject something that's going on around you. I think that what we see here are stories that show that we have that agency to do that type of stuff. And other people have done it as well, so we can follow their examples. And I appreciated learning about those stories in this chapter. So as you were asking the question, the scripture came to my mind. Wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and the love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end, behold, Thus saith the Father, you shall have eternal life. And I think time and time again in this chapter, we see this happening. We haven't said a whole lot about Leah Witso and her experience covered in this chapter where she experiences the death of her mother. But this was an immense crisis of faith for her. As you remember, just before the mission, she and her mother were very close. And one of the things that happened just before Leah left is that her mother said, well, when this is all done, we'll be able to talk about it together and we'll be able to rejoice in your homecoming. And so Leah went off with that, looking forward to that reunion. She also left at a time just after she lost her son. So this was a very, very dark time in her life, very, very sad time in her life. And what we see in her mission is her coming out of this really, really low, low part in her life where she's beginning to find herself in the mission. And then really when she's kind of reached this really spiritual high point, she gets the crushing news that her mother has died. For a time, it is very difficult for her. And she says she felt defiant and angry. But like so many other people in this chapter, she found hope in Christ. And that helped her push through the challenges she was facing and helped her to find her way out of the depression that she was feeling. And I think that we see this time and time again in saints. It's just the way that hope in Christ and faith in Christ really helps us through the hard times in our lives. And if we can just press forward and endure to the end, we have the promise that things will be made right for us. Thank you, Scott. I agree. I feel like that's a theme in Saints, and I feel like that's a theme in this chapter to press forward with faith in Christ and with hope, even when we're going through trials or experiences that seem not to have an end. So thank you for that. And Taryn and Scott, thank you both for joining us today. It was wonderful to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And for our listeners, of course, every chapter covers 
so much information and so many different people and places. And we invite you to explore the church history topics if you are looking for more information about anything that you've read. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you took away some new insights into this volume. And we would love to hear your thoughts, opinions, questions, and insights from this chapter of Saints. And you can email saintspodcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. It would be great to hear from you.